1: Sit back and relax while we inject weird and wonderful science directly into your brain. I'm Ian Wolf. On this edition, stem cells for ailing hearts. But first up, here's the news. Snakes like a plane. The Paradise Tree Snake of Southeast Asia flattens its ribs to gain an aerodynamic shape and then launches itself to undulate through the air to escape danger. Biomechanical researchers from Virginia Tech in the US tested the snake's aerodynamics with a plastic model in a water tunnel, highlighting the flow patterns by laser. They were surprised to find that the snake's flight shape is actually very aerodynamic, even if it doesn't look that way. The paradise tree snake is one of five gliding snake species. They are able to glide up to 30 metres. There are also gliding lizards, frogs and squid. Their results were published in the Journal of Experimental Biology in a paper titled Aerodynamics of the Flying Snake, Chrysopelea paradisi, how a bluff-body cross-sectional shape contributes to gliding performance. Worryingly, the research was partly funded by the Defence Advanced Research Projects Agency, DARPA. Alexis Bosnan is a postdoctoral research scientist at the Victor Chang Cardiac Research Institute in Sydney. She spoke to me about creating stem cells from skin to study inherited heart diseases.
0: Basically the outline of my project here at the Victor Chang is to work with congenital heart disease patients and we work on a particular disease uh, which is specifically affecting not too many children but enough to make it quite a severe disease. Uh, it's called hyperplastic left heart. And what we do is we take patient cells and we reprogram them into stem cells so that we can study them for development and to understand what it means when they turn into heart cells or cardiac cells so we can try and understand the, the disease.
1: So you're taking cells from the patients and you're turning them into stem cells and then growing them into the sort of cells that they have problems with when they grow up.
0: So what we do is we take a skin sample from the the child, it's actually from a newborn, so this this disease is very severe so within the first couple of days of their lives they have to get a surgery and within the first uh, two to three years of their life they have to get uh, three surgeries. So In fact, in the first or if it it happens later, we can also do it later, but we take a skin sample during the surgery and then we grow the cells back here in the lab. We take these cells and we we reprogram them to a stem cell, which means that they're kind of like a a, a blank cell which have the capability of turning into any type of cell in the body. And because the cells which are affected in this disease are actually in the heart, obviously. um, So what we want to do is not only create cardiomyocytes which are the the heart the muscle cells of the heart the the cells that actually beat we want to also understand what happens during development so the great thing about these stem cells is that they start from the earliest point of development and we have the ability to study them all down the developmental path so not only in the stem cell state but also in what we call a progenitor state which is a precursor to the heart so we look at the progenitors and then we also look at the heart cells themselves, the beating cardiomyocytes. But we can also look at other cells in the heart because the heart isn't just made up of beating cardiomyocytes. It's made up of other cell types like smooth muscle, blood vessels and things like this. So it also gives us the opportunity to look at the other cells of the heart because we don't really understand the disease yet and, and, and how, it's, how it forms or how it develops. So that's, that's one great ability of using these cell types.
1: And to make these cells into stem cells, um, what do you have to do?
0: So it's um, quite a cool technique, actually. Um, about, well, actually in 2006, uh, a researcher in Japan named Shin'ya Yamanaka figured out that they could turn somatic cells or some type of cell, like adult cell, which is already differentiated or already has its own identity, could turn, it, turn back the clock, into a stem cell, like an embryonic stem cell, but obviously without all the controversy associated with embryo destruction. So he figured out that you could insert some genes, which basically tell the cell, hey, revert back to your state as a stem cell, and so initially how he made these cells was to introduce these four particular genes which are associated with pluripotency and pluripotency is a feature which allows the cells to turn into other types of cells pluripotent so they were able to turn these skin cells into these pluripotent cells by inserting these genes using a virus initially And so that's how they actually reprogram the cells initially. Since then, there's been other techniques to introduce these genes into the cells. But that's mainly the way that people are doing it now. But, you know, maybe we'll talk a little bit more about this later, about the different techniques. But this is the technique that we're using at the moment. So we take a a virus, which delivers the genes into the cell, which programs them, reprograms them into the stem cells.
1: And how long does it take before you've got the cells growing into stem cells?
0: So when we take a skin biopsy, we have to culture these cells, the fibroblasts themselves. That usually takes a couple of weeks. Then after that, we infect the cells with virus. And then usually after they're infected with a virus, it takes about one month until we start to see these colonies of cells or these they, they look different because fibroblast or skin cells, when you look under the microscope, they're kind of long and spindly. And actually about, yeah, about four weeks or a month, you start to see the change in shape under the microscope. And so instead of being long and spindly, they're actually small and round and quite refractive. So they look really quite different. And so when they start to look in this small refractive kind of state, that's when they've taken on a lot of the characteristics of being a stem cell. So from that point on, I would say maybe three four weeks then you expand in numbers and then you have more cells to actually do your experiments with so to be able to get the cells it takes about two months and to have enough cells so that you can what we call characterize them or make sure that they are you know bona fide stem cells usually takes another I don't know maybe month or two months to do that so you know four months five months or so from skin cell into uh, let's say a bank or a stock of stem cells that you can use for your experiments. And
1: how do you tell these new stem cells to become the kind of heart cells that you need them to become?
0: It's, uh, yeah, that's a really good question. It's, it depends on the cell type that you're wanting. And obviously we have many different cell types in our bodies and for each different cell type there's basically a different program that you need to instruct it to follow to be able to turn into say a heart cell or a brain cell or a blood cell so at the beginning of of this stem cell research that started you know over ten years ago now it was a very basic way to be able to differentiate the cells and you did this by putting them into a very basic uh cell culture medium which is like a soup containing you know proteins and amino acids and sugars and salts and so at the beginning you could make basically everything so you make these things called embryo bodies and inside these ball of cells you would have cells that look like neurons and cells that look like cardiac cells and cells that look like blood cells you know and so forth and it was kind of rough and so some people use that technique today and actually grow everything and then sort out the cell types that they want from there it's a bit rough but it's a way to do it another way to do it and depending on the cell type or the cell lineage you're looking for it's actually more difficult than a lot of other cell types to make cardiac cells and so what over the years what people have done is slowly made different techniques using different growth factors different media components to be able to directly differentiate down the cardiac lineage and so at the moment we're using this different technique which allows us to kind of um, improve the direction of the growth and differentiation of these cells to the cardiac lineage so yeah it's a matter of just manipulating their environment manipulating what growth factors they're in in contact with or in the medium and that helps you to make yeah, the specific type of cell of interest
1: and once you've got these heart cells growing the way you need them to grow what are you learning from them
0: well uh, a lot <laughs> i actually went to a talk uh, quite recently as uh, from a, a researcher from harvard which who was also working with these, with these cells and he was working actually on diabetes and so he actually spoke about a similar technique where he takes patient cells and reprograms them to stem cells to try and understand the the disease um, of type 2 diabetes and one good point that he made was that at any point you can study these cells and it's not just the cell types that are affected in disease so in diabetes it's just the pancreatic beta cells but he's looking at the ips cells themselves stem cells, how they behave, how they differentiate, even not to turning into beta cells, but also turning into other cell types. And that's something that we want to also try and uh, accomplish in our project here, because we not only want to look at the cardiomyocytes, because obviously they're the ones affected in disease, but we also want to see what happens in the ground state, what happens when these cells are just around and then they're trying to differentiate and they're trying to just grow and, 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 and proliferate because they're really, there are secrets of disease in these very basic understandings of the cells and how they grow. So the way that we do it is that we take these cells, we look at them in their undifferentiated state and then we look at them as they differentiate into different cell types and also we look at them as they differentiate into the heart type cells. And one other thing we do is we actually, when we do have the heart cells or the cardiomyocytes, we want to examine them, we want to look at them functionally to see if they're different from our control cells that we're using. We want to know, do they beat differently? Do they move around differently? How do they look different? Even though we might not see that, a functional difference in the disease, we might see a functional difference in the cells, which gives us clues about how the disease, disease progresses or how the disease works. I am a scientist. We got on
1: You're listening to Diffusion Science Radio. Send emails to science at diffusionradio.com. We're brought to you across Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast over the internet on www.diffusionradio.com. To go back to an earlier stage, how do you get the genes into the viruses that transmit them to the cells?
0: So there's this uh, great technique that somebody figured out, and I I wish I could tell you the person who who, um, invented this technique, but... Um, there's a type of virus which is called a lentivirus and it's actually originally adapted from HIV and so it's all been changed and and, you know it's not dangerous like HIV is but it gives us a real great tool to work with. So what we do is we actually make the virus ourselves. So using um, different genetic techniques we're able to construct the different proteins of the virus and deliver our genes which we call transgenes into the virus when we make it so we construct a particle of virus which contains our genes which has the ability to infect the cells that we want to reprogram
1: Once you've observed all these developmental changes in all the cells how will that be able to be applied to treat the illnesses
0: That's a it's a difficult question to answer It's I guess at the point that we're at we're very much at basic biology so we're really trying to understand the disease because we don't know we know that the disease that we're working on is genetic based but it's not like a lot of other diseases which are you know the gene which causes the disease but here we don't know and we haven't identified it yet and we we don't think that it is going to be one gene because we have understanding that it is actually a polygenic or a multigenic Uh, Disease, So it's going to be more than one gene that actually is going to cause the disease. So at the moment what we're really just trying to do is understand what it means to have disease and what it means when we do see this disease in a person, what's going on at the cellular level. And it's only until we find out what's going on at the cellular level that we won't actually be able to find a target for disease. I think maybe down the line it would be great if we were able to use these cells as a therapy, but I think in the end it would be more like we're using these cells to understand disease, to find out the mechanisms of disease, and perhaps find some kind of drug or pharmacological agent which is able to treat the disease or even help something improve the outcome of the patient. The other applications, I guess, of these cells, not just in particular disease models, but yeah about therapies and if there is going to be a therapeutic outcome from stem cells yeah um yeah that's a great question um that people have asked me because it's it's complicated because you know human embryonic stem cells were first discovered in 1998 and it was heralded as oh this is going to be great because these cells can turn into everything that means they can be treated everybody can be treated and you can have cell replacement therapy and can be regenerative medicine for everybody but it's been a much more complicated story since that because it's not only being able to work with the cells and differentiate them which is a big hurdle to be able to differentiate them to exactly the cell type that you want but it's also issues with transplanting the cells so having immune rejection if it's something that that if it's an embryonic stem cell it doesn't come from you but if it's an induced pluripotent stem cell or an IPS cell that means you can get a cell from you and reprogram it and turn it into say a heart cell which has the same genetic background as you so it's like it's not like having a transplant it's like having it's called an autologous transplant how would you explain that well a
1: transplant from yourself
0: yeah yeah a transplant from yourself so you make cells with your own genetic information and, and then you wouldn't have to go on immune suppression or anything like that so that's an amazing benefit of using iPS cells as opposed to human embryonic stem cells but it doesn't get over the point where even if it's your cells sometimes you your own body attacks your own cells so that's also something you have to keep in mind You also have to think about which diseases you want to treat and which would be suitable for disease.
1: Which ones are susceptible to being understood with these techniques? Is that the sort of direction you're trying to go?
0: Well, I think, yeah, you have to understand the type of disease that would be suitable for cell replacement therapies. Um, And they, they talk about heart attack, for example, as being impossible. Disease for, for, for cell replacement therapies using stem cells because when you have a heart attack, then you get a lot of the cells in your heart which die due to lack of oxygen. So it may be possible to make these heart cells and replace them with these stem cells that have been made from yourself, for example. So a lot of people have been looking into that but also looking at other types of stem cells, as in adult stem cells, which already come from your body, from your bone marrow, or already from the resident cardiac stem cells that you have in your heart. So that's that's something that's actually been in in process for quite a long time. But specifically with induced pluripotent stem cells or embryonic stem cells, about six or seven years ago, there was a company called Geron, and so they... Uh, started the first clinical trial using human embryonic stem cells, and this was with patients that had uh, some spinal damage. So what they were trying to do was make these neural types of cells, similar to spinal you know, spinal cells, to get them to replace these cells which had been damaged um, upon injury. And it was a, a great idea at the time because it was a relatively simple model to use. They could differentiate the cells to these spinal cell types relatively easily but the problem that they came up against was that it's very very expensive to actually develop these kinds of things these stem cell protocols and also for therapeutic reasons and they had to go against the, the FDA to get approvals for all this kind of thing so in the end they had to fold because they didn't have enough money to continue the trials so you know even though there's potential there there's a lot of hurdles to be able to get to therapy because it is expensive. There are a lot of restrictions on what kind of work you can do because it is obviously dealing with patients and uh, working with with human samples. There's obviously yeah a lot of rules that you have to follow to be able to get there. But in the last year, there has been another company called ACT. I can't remember. I have to check that again. So they're uh, looking into a clinical trial for macular degeneration. So this is uh, more down the, the neural type side, but this is to do with the eye. So they're doing um, a trial on, on, on using induced pluripotent stem cells for macular degeneration. And I think they're getting to a point where they're very close to putting the cells into patients. But I read a, an article the other day that also said they were having some financial issues as well. So, even though the potential is there, there's a lot of other yeah, hurdles to be able to eventually get into the lab, or into, into the clinic to be able to use them or at least test them, which is where they have to obviously start.
1: And I wanted to ask you Ian, stem cells have been in the news recently with a new technique to create them from somatic cells with acid. Can you tell me a little bit about that and what you think about it?
0: So, yes, these are what are called STAP cells, S-T-A-P. Um, they were recently discovered um, to... They're actually only in mouse at the moment, so they haven't been made in or created in hu- with human cells, but they were made with mouse cells. And I don't know exactly all the, the technical details about the study, but what I've read is that they treated these cells um, which actually came from blood and with an acidic solution or basically some kind of they gave them some kind of environment that was um, a stressful environment for the cells and their reasoning was that upon stressful conditions the cells adapt um, to circumstance and in this case they reprogram themselves to be able to respond to the environment that they're in and so upon these conditions that these researchers used they were able to induce these cells to reprogram themselves and turn into similar to cells like these iPS cells
1: and are these step cells much different to iPS cells
0: well they claim to be very similar Um, as I said it's only been done in mouse cells Um, I'm not an expert in mouse I work with human cells there's they're similar but there is um, quite a difference between those but as far as I understand they seem to be quite similar to, to the iPS cells and that, that, what they have seen before so I, I guess uh, it would be nice if they are and it would be a much easier way to reprogram the cells and to make these these, these stem cells available to, to a lot of other people without having the trouble of going you know to reprogram using genes or, or however you do
1: So if somebody were to demonstrate that this worked with human cells how long would it take before you were able to use that in your work?
0: That's a good question. It's always difficult when a new technique comes out because sometimes you'll try an experiment which has been reported in a publication and it'll work the first time around. Sometimes you'll try it for six months and it won't work. So it's hard to say (laughs) I'm sorry I can't be more uh, specific than that Um, but for example when I first started working uh, with IPS cells that was pretty quick it actually worked really well we had something happen pretty much the first time we tried it Um, it's a robust method it was easily repeatable everybody could do it maybe not everybody but uh, it was accessible to many many researchers all around the world and It was something that actually was repeatable and obviously repeatable. Some other techniques, maybe not so much. So I guess the proof is in the pudding. When you want to try, then you'll see how long it takes. I'm very happy to be working with stem cells. They're a very powerful tool for science, for research in many different ways. And it's not just the promise of of therapy down the line, but it's the basic understanding of biology and early development, which is really important to understand. And I think people need to realise that it's not just going to be therapies that are the main outcome of this stem cell research, but it's an understanding of biology. And this is something that, you know, these basic biologists really want to know. And, and I think I'm lucky to be able to work with these cell types and, and, and have this powerful tool at our hands.
1: Alexis Bosnan, thank you very much Thank you That was Alexis Bosnan Postdoctoral research scientist at the Victor Chang Cardiac Research Institute In Sydney And that's all from us this week on Diffusion Would you like to join us? We need more people contributing stories to Diffusion You can send your contributions, opinions, congratulations Standing ovations, gasps of amazement And helpful suggestions To science at diffusionradio.com That's science at diffusionradio.com And please do send me an email so I know you're listening and you'd like to hear more episodes. Please like the Diffusion Science Radio Facebook page and leave a comment. Checking production this week was Charles Willock. I produce Diffusion, which is broadcast around Australia on the Community Radio Network and to Triple H in Hornsby-Karingai. Diffusion is syndicated on the National Science Foundation's Science 360 internet radio station. Ask your local radio station to broadcast Diffusion. Subscribe to our podcast on the Diffusion website, www.diffusionradio.com. That's www.diffusionradio.com. Diffusion needs funding. The Bank of Ian has no income stream. Please contact me at science at diffusionradio.com if you'd like to sponsor the show, help with applying for grants, or suggest a business model, or look for the donate button on diffusionradio.com to contribute to the costs of producing the podcast. I'm Ian Wolfe. Join us inside your audio device of choice for more science wondering next week on Diffusion Science Radio.